hope for the best and plan for the worst. The digital world cannot substitute human interaction. This is the way forward between Qatar and Russia, is to open up these doors, culturally speaking. Vocation in terms of doing things with your hand and learning from somebody who knows how to make things. Hello and welcome to East East Podcast. The program is represented by cultural creative agency Qatar Russia. With this episode, we start a series of talks on culture, architecture and heritage with Qatari and Russian voices. And I'm delighted to announce our first guest, the ambassador of the state of Qatar to the Russian Federation, His Excellency Fahad bin Mohammed Al-Atiyah. Mr. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, communicating to the people through East East, and especially during the lockdown. And uh, I hope to be uh, as uh, useful as possible in terms of what I can provide. Great. So uh, we start our program in the midst of the pandemic and uh, total uncertainty. Firstly, I would like to start with the question, what are the major challenges the world is uh, facing today? The major challenge is the um, pandemic of coronavirus, which uh, has impacted practically lives of everyone around the world uh, with uh, forced lockdowns and disabling them from engaging in the day-to-day -day activities uh, that they're used to before the pandemic. Uh, I think this is the, the biggest challenge. Of course, uh, the consequences of this challenge is not just by re the restrictions that are placed on people, but also on the economic consequences that followed from that. Uh, many people have lost their jobs or livelihood is threatened as a result, um, in addition to the health concerns that this pandemic places. Uh, so um, unfortunately, this sort of uh, crisis is, does not distinguish between individuals, groups or countries. Uh, it kind of hits everybody um, at the same, uh, with the same degree uh, of uh, force but also uh, people around the world, groups around the world, do not have the same means to respond to such a crisis. And that is, the, uh, that is where I think uh, this crisis becomes uh, even more uh, damaging, as uh, not every country or group of people have the necessary tools to respond to it. So um, we are witnessing uh, a collapse in demand and collapse also in supply. Such a situation uh, in my lifetime I've never experienced. And I think uh, we don't know how things will uh, turn out to be. Uh, but as I always say, uh, hope for the best and plan for the worst. Right. Hoping for the best. Um, history of Qatar uh, shows us that countries and their people can and should respond quickly to changes. Uh, in your view, uh, how well will uh, humanity adapt to a post-quarantine reality? Um, well, we are seeing um, discussions happening now as to the resilience of the global value chain system and how with this crisis it had exposed weaknesses uh, that uh, 
existed all along uh, because the global globalized system is as good as uh, is, is good mostly when there are no crises. When a crisis happens, such as the one we are witnessing today, the virus crisis, uh, we are we have we have seen logistics and we have seen airlines, we have seen uh, factories close, and uh, that has kind of affected the reliability of this interconnected global system that uh, we have uh, we have developed a system that uh, with the challenge like the one we're facing, um, it has uh, kind of um, failed or let's say uh, have not um, delivered the expected ideal that it represented. And I think the consequences would probably be a a shift towards a more country-centric or self-sufficiency-centric approach where uh, the countries now will look at this concept of a globalized, interconnected uh, trade system and question uh, whether this can actually support them in times of crisis. Not to say that this crisis is going to happen uh, every few years. Last one apparently happened in 1919 or something, the Spanish flu. Um, but um, but we were not then as connected as we are now. And we've seen the impact uh, this crisis have left on many countries, uh, on many commodities, and on access to certain essentials such as medical equipment, uh, materials, uh, food, uh, energy, etc. So um, I think there will be somehow a uh, revision um, that will take place. Uh, What would be the uh, future post-corona? It's hard to predict. Uh, I hope that uh, we will still continue to uh, engage with one another. I hope that countries will not lose faith in engaging in commercial activities with other countries. That's who we are. Humans have traded with each other uh, throughout millennia. And I hope that we will not become uh, more uh, protectionists and insular the face after this crisis, but that we will revise the systems and the rules in a way that makes us even more trustworthy uh, of each other. Um, I think these uh, levels of trust have to be re-strengthened again and uh, lessons that are learned in the crisis uh, should pave way to measures in the future that will not uh, reduce the faith in this global interconnectivity uh, and reduce our ability to engage with one another uh, culturally, commercially uh, and at all levels. But do you think uh, it is uh, quickly possible to uh, come back to this interconnectivity? Because uh, what we are experiencing now is uh, the situation with uh, people uh, basically afraid of each other, speaking to each other, moving, traveling, uh, I don't know, attending anything. And uh, we do not sure about uh, when we will come back to this uh, ordinary way of life and way of communication. What is your idea of the, uh, in terms of uh, over time? Yeah, I think think you're right. Uh, In many ways, uh, this will create even, uh, this will create a social behavior that will uh, sit uh, and become a pattern. And then the question is, how do you undo this pattern uh, of um, 
distancing, of indifference, uh, of fear. Uh, like you can teach people how to be fearful, you can teach people as well how to be trustful. I think uh, we are capable of adapting to new realities, to new situations. And I think once people have the confidence uh, that there is a, a solution and that there is a cure, hopefully one is underway. Uh, we hear that many countries now are testing vaccines, testing certain remedies. And I think once these tests become available, as we all know, they take time. Um, there, it is estimated that by April of next year, 2021, we will see these vaccines available for use as clinical trials take uh, almost a year before these things can be safely be made available to people. Until that point, I think countries will and people will feel the, uh, the necessity to be precaution, to, to have these precautions in place. And uh, it will be hard to see a sudden change and a return back to normality without having uh, this confidence because a mother will be fearful of protecting her child even if the country opens up, but the, the lack of any um, solution, medical solution to this problem will still have its own uh, shadow on people's lives. The digital world cannot substitute um, human interaction. And uh, it's just uh, that it made us feel more empowered to interact with that physical uh, interaction. But I don't think it is a way of moving forward uh, in the future and I think uh, people will find that uh, I think people will find that they will need more of that physical interaction as they got tired from seeing people digitally Um, and once the opportunity arrives uh, I think you will feel it out there sports uh, activities cultural activities Uh, the need of physical human to human interaction is innate in, in us and uh, it will uh, not be substituted by any technology whatsoever. Uh, But I think uh, this crisis will give birth to new possibilities in terms of applying technology to do certain things that we didn't know it can do before. Um, And uh, Like, for example, records in podcasting. Or or education, or education. I think education will be the biggest sector that will have uh, the biggest impact in terms of transformation after this virus. Uh, It will not be the same. That's how how I see it. Um, Many uh, educational systems will probably be in the future uh, adopt a hybrid system, even if there is no virus, because now we have practically... uh, Uh, transferred to a digital-based education system, which uh, educational institutions in the past were either slow or reluctant or did not want to uh, develop it. But uh, this crisis kind of forced everybody to do it and and forced students and parents and families to adapt to it as well as institutions. So even if we go back, I think schooling will be, I I believe, will be uh, far different than what it used to be uh, in the past. It might be a hybrid of homeschooling plus, which will allow kids to spend more time with their families uh, and, and spend uh, maybe less time being at schools. Uh, and But it's, 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 it's hard to predict what uh, the world will look like uh, after corona uh, passes. Uh, you have been living in Russia for several years now. Uh, It is a country with a rich and vibrant culture, which is now undergoing serious changes as well. So I would like to speak a bit more about uh, supporting measures uh, which you think should be taken by 
Russian culture, by uh, global cultures, uh, because we understand this is probably the main bridge we have from now to, to our safe future culture. What is your vision of it? Um, I've been here now three months, uh, three years and three months, and uh, it has been a fascinating time for me. I've learned a lot uh, by being in Russia. Um, I found a lot of common things between Qatar and Russia in many ways. Um, we find that we're kind of emotional in our way of thinking and where I come from. And similarly, I found that to be the case in, in Russia. Um, we are family oriented. This is a quality that has, it has been diminishing in other parts of the world. And that's a very surprising uh, element for somebody who has never been to Russia before uh, being sent here. Um, Russia has a very rich tradition and culture. Uh, it has many nations within itself. It has many religions uh, and many ethnicities. Uh, if you go around the streets of Moscow, you will find a mosaic of uh, people, all of whom are Russian, but come from different regions as Moscow is the hub for uh, bringing all forms of types of people. And it was just enriching for somebody like me, um, seeing that uh, variety, the diversity of cultures within one country, uh, whereas where I come from, the similarities between the people of Qatar, are, the differences between people of Qatar are very slim. Uh, whereas here, the, while there is this differences that exist in massive territory of Russia, there's also this concept of uh, Russia as a country with its own identity. And um, all sitting, uh, all arbitrating between all different cultures and traditions. And uh, for me, this th this was a sort of, as an outsider, uh, was a pleasant uh, surprise to see, uh, as it goes against everything that one is taught, you know, people, uh, it's, it's hard for people to come together under one roof and live alongside each other. But the case in Russia seems to be the opposite since that has been, of course, with ups and downs throughout history. But nonetheless, in modern Russia, uh, you have a very progressive constitution, as I have started to read it and saw that it starts by identifying Russia is a country of different nations and religions and uh, giving recognition to the diversity uh, that exists within the borders of the Russian Federation. Um, additionally, you have aspects uh, of your rich culture extending to many areas, uh, such as music, theater, arts, crafts, uh, that are universal and have reached um, countries far and beyond Russia, uh, including mine. And, uh, and literature, poetry, um, everybody who has gone to school in Qatar, finished the university degree, would have come across your writers, uh, from Gogol to, to your poetry to uh, Pushkin and others. So these are individuals that uh, are universal in many ways. And, uh, and for me, uh, this side of the Russian culture uh, while it has uh, had its historical strength and uh, needs to be more visible, uh, especially in other parts of the world, that it, uh, it has not kind of penetrated. And uh, for me, I wanted to show that beautiful 
side of Russian culture to the Qatari people. And in 2018, we did a year of culture between Qatar and Russia, where about 35 events, activations. Yes, that was big initiative. Uh, between Russia and Qatar, we had theater, we had music, we had art, we had fashion, we had uh, food, uh, sports. Um, all forms of cultural representation, uh, both ways, uh, happening in both countries simultaneously. And that has exposed uh, Qatari people uh, to Russian culture and to the beauty of the Russian culture and vice versa. And that has increased uh, the level of awareness, uh, level of understanding between the two countries. And as a result, we had the highest number of tourism followed after this. So it shows you the power of uh, cultural awareness and how this cultural awareness can actually translate into an economic benefit and that the lack of it uh, will essentially not uh, bring any benefits whatsoever. And that is why I'm kind of a believer uh, that uh, for any two countries or two nations to have um, wider opportunities between them, economic, uh, so on and so forth, uh, that you would start with the culture. And that is the, the key aspect to getting people to develop this empathy, to develop this connection, to develop this passion, this uh, uh, admiration uh, for one another. And based on that, you would end up opening uh, far greater opportunities between people to trade, to commerce, to engage, uh, to partner. And, um, and this is, I think, the way forward uh, between Qatar and Russia uh, is to open up these doors, culturally speaking, and to also, at the same time, facilitate for economic cooperation. What do you think uh, in current uh, conditions? Uh, I should uh, these cultural ties uh, be reassessed and uh, relaunched, I would say, because, I don't know, all institutions are closed. Uh, many of them won't recover, maybe, uh, in, a, in the worst scenario. What do you think, uh, what is the, the plan? I think um, the cultural sector is hit most because it, it is the one that is mainly reliable, relies on a freelance base, uh, sort of creative base, and it suffered the greatest blow. I think um, we, the embassy, are looking at uh, employing the digital cyberspace to continue the cultural engagement. And uh, we hope that uh, while we're living this uh, confinement within our homes, that uh, we still uh, wish to engage uh, with the Russians uh, providing the cultural insights uh, about uh, Qatar um, and uh, vice versa. Um, of course, it, 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 the, the cyberspace today is overwhelmed with the amount of content and people are becoming sort of uh, selective about the cultural content that they can uh, consume. And it is it, it is it boils down boils down to quality uh, and boils down to the angle of offering and what is the value of that cultural content that you're presenting to one another, 
And uh, if we manage over the course of the next couple of weeks, months, to uh, really find out what would appeal to the Qataris in terms of um, cultural uh, reach from Russia and vice versa, I think we'll be able to maintain these links despite the fact that we uh, are physically incapable of engagement. And so uh, the burden is on really trying to uh, find quality content, quality offering, one that will inspire people, that one will provoke their thoughts, one will, that will enrich um, their understanding uh, of one another. One also that would, I would say, bring collaboration through digital platforms between Qatari artists uh, and cultural influences uh, and their counterparts here in Russia. So that in turn um, is uh, a reason for us to continue this cultural engagement and not to be, not to accept um, the uh, circumstances uh, as, uh, as it uh, hinders uh, the engagement, uh, physical engagement but rather to turn these circumstances around and say, you know, this calamity offers an opportunity uh, as well. And uh, to take this opportunity and to provide both Qataris and Russians uh, yeah, uh, the space for collaboration. Speaking of opportunities, uh, I would switch to the next uh, question. Tell us a bit more about uh, Cultural Creative Agency, please, uh, and uh, upcoming open call for Russian artists, which, uh, as I understand, is an uh, amazing opportunity uh, you offer at this uh, crisis situation. Well, the Cultural Creative Agency is born to basically provide that cultural bridging between Qatar and Russia and to engage in both um, countries to advance the cultural agenda uh, and the cultural understanding and the cultural collaboration between Russia and Qatar. And the open call for Russian artists came uh, at the back of the realization that this crisis has really impacted all of our lives, lives of Qataris and lives of Russians. Uh, lives of every global citizen and uh, art plays a role in, in these situations. Art is the thing that communicates to people and reflects the uh, concerns, the ideals, the, the beliefs of uh, groups and individuals around the world. And it's because of the importance of, uh, of the role of art and the artist, um, we thought that it would be timely for artists to express the global sentiment or the national sentiment um, and to connect with the, the situation and to connect with the grievances of people uh, that are suffering as a result of uh, this pandemic and to represent through their eyes and through their uh, sensitive souls uh, what this crisis means to them what this crisis means to their communities, uh, how this crisis is going to shape the world that we live in. Um, and uh, this open call uh, is an invitation to artists in Russia to express that. Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to see through their work uh, how they perceive the world that we live in and how they perceive uh, the future as well. And uh, I hope it would be one of hope but also one that reflects um, the reality uh, as we live it today. Um, so it can inspire 
people who would engage with that form of art um, and to give them insight uh, pretty much uh, through that work of art uh, of the current situation, of the future, of the present, uh, depending on uh, how the artists would treat the current situation. And speaking of uh, critical thinking and uh, potentially other uh, essential skills which might be needed for uh, for the nearest future, uh, what do you think in terms of young generation, uh, what they should focus on in their studies after all this is finished? Philosophy is a big thing. And if you like philosophy, you like meaning. And uh, we have seen a lot of... Uh, educational programs that lack context. And I think philosophy gives context to a lot of things. And uh, I would like to see more emphasis on philosophy in our schools as it provides context to many things. I think we have kind of created a massive institution to produce technicians, uh, more than people to understand thinkers. Mm -hmm. And uh, in order to produce... Uh, a group of people who will continue to propel the world forward, not just from a material standpoint, but also from a spiritual standpoint, qualitative standpoint. Not everything is quantity. Um, I think it's important to introduce these modules and topics, especially at young age, uh, and to instill within generations today and tomorrow these timeless uh, I would say, wisdoms that existed in every tradition, uh, which, are, which I believe have been hugely un uh, underrepresented. I think this is one thing I'd like to see more often in our schooling system. Or equally, uh, I would hope to engage in uh, skill building, especially at young age. In what the, do I mean by skill building? Meaning vocation, not just education. Um, Identifying who you are. <laughs> Vocation in terms of doing things with your hand, uh, making things with your hand, learning from somebody who knows how to make things, because we have lost our ability in making anything. Um, where we have become, we have produced massive consumers. But we have practically most young, educated people don't have a skill. So there's two types of economies, the craftsman economy, the craftsmanship economy and the industrial economy. The industrial economy is one that relies on science and technology to advance growth. And the craftsmanship economy relies on human beings and the knowledge they embed within themselves. And one, if you take the industrial economy, it's a continuous, um, it's built on feeding a machine that does not know any form of rest, that does not know any form of uh, slowdown. So it's you just have to continue to feed it because its measure of return and economics is fundamentally different from the craftsmanship economy, where somebody has to work for a certain amount of hours, provide for what community needs, providing things on demand basis, not on supply basis. So it's totally different uh, in approach and thinking in every possible way. One, on the craftsman economy, you rely on knowledge being transmitted from one generation to the other uh, for that 
craftsmen or craftswomen produce the what society needs or provide what society needs. On the other hand, the industrial form of economy relies on new inventing machines that will do the job for you, um, which uh, these machines do not have any learning that they can pass to people other than you learning how to operate them. And uh, in, in that case, there's a huge loss of um, knowledge uh, that represents uh, not only um, not only represents how to provide you with practical things to produce what you need, but also these practical things that you need, that you need for your life also carries within them uh, cultural metaphors, uh, which societies have lost in the process. The, the cultural metaphor, in, in other words, that identifies you as being Russian through your work. Uh, or Chinese being Chinese, or the Japanese being Japanese, or the Qatari being Qatari. In industrialized process, that cultural metaphor disappears. Uh, that identity does not come through a factory line um, at the end of the day. It comes through the hands of those craftspeople and cra who produce that work because they deal with the surrounding environment, be it from the materials, if they're living in Moscow or St. Petersburg, be it from people who have, they have learned from, uh, from previous generations who are from the same locality, be it from the culture, from the religion, from the beliefs that they hold, whereas a machine cannot do that. Uh, and then you're dealing with another layer of um, problem of efficiency, whereas those who control the industrial economy want to be more and more efficient, therefore less and less reliant on human beings, um, because the machine does not retire, the machine does not have any uh, time to rest uh, and uh, owners of those uh, industrial systems, all they want is to increase their profitability. So it would be far easier and better to get rid of uh, those inefficient human beings if uh, the possibility would allow itself. And uh, is that the way we should continue? That's the biggest question I have. And the last question for today. As we all know, football fans expect FIFA World Cup in Qatar in 2022. In your opinion, does football help to come closer to the culture of the country? Sports has become, uh, or football has become this globalized sport that everyone is passionate about. It's a moment of uh, celebrating uh, competition. It's a moment of celebrating uh, unity around non-political, non-divisive uh, uh, topics. Uh, and football seems to be the one that brings the masses together for this celebration of sports. And I think that uh, the fact that Russia has succeeded in 2018 in pulling probably one of the best championships ever organized for football is a, is a testimony to the power of football and uh, that it had uh, also showed many elements of Russia and Russian society that without having such a tournament, it would be hard to uh, show that. And I think in Qatar, we hope to achieve the same and provide the world with a great uh, tournament and enable the global fan base of the sport to see another culture that they would otherwise not be able to see 
experience it from another dimension of this uh, planet, um, the sport that they love. So it has its own power, it has its own uh, attraction, and uh, if applied in the right direction, I think it can be a very, a very good force um, for positive things to come. We are very much looking forward to this uh, next uh, World Cup, of course. I extend an invitation to all of you listeners to um, <laughs> book your tickets to come to Qatar. Thank you so much, Mr. Ambassador, for this meaningful conversation. This was the podcast produced by Cultural Creative Agency, Qatar, Russia. Thank you for listening.